So your app is primarily going to place you in direct connection with your consumer in a way that social media cannot, a website cannot, an email list cannot. You are listening to The Millionaire Talk Show with Charles Oglesby. We're going to be millionaires. And we're interviewing proven millionaires who've built their wealth in real estate, sales, marketing, branding, and other areas by betting on themselves. And now, here's your host, Charles Oglesby. What's going on, everybody? My name is Charles Oglesby. Welcome to the Millionaire Talk Show. Um, The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American business owners and investors because we want people to know that these people exist. Um, And yeah, so we've been doing this for a long time. I'm not even sure which episode we're on. It's like somewhere north of 200, but um, we're ramping up. The goal is to bring you guys as much content as possible, as much really, really cool people that you can look up to, you can connect with, you can work with as we humanly can. And today we have Al, Al Quincia, Alquincia or Alquincia? Alquincia, perfect. Uh-huh. Alquincia. Oh, yeah, you got your last name. Stella Wayne. Okay. And you are an AKA from UCR. Mm-hmm. My wife is an AKA. Wow. Shout out to AKAs in the building. Um, man, but what she's doing is some really cool things. Um, she has a virtual mall and a app development company. So we're definitely going to break down that. You also have a virtual, or you're a virtual commercial property developer. And these are all things that a lot of us have never even heard of. Right. So we definitely want to dig into that and get some understanding on that. But first, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Alquincia Selawane, um, commonly known and referred to as Aconundrum on social media, uh, primarily Instagram, where I've been for uh, since 2012. Um, distributing information for entrepreneurs and um, making networks, connecting people, introducing businesses to the masses um, to the best of my ability. I am an app developer, as you stated. I have a company called First Generation App Development, and I'm also a virtual commercial property developer. And I currently own and have completely developed the first ever Black Virtual Mall, and now the Black Virtual Convention Center, which is the most recent development. Wow. wow. Um, that's really cool because, like I said, a lot of us didn't know this existed. But before we even go there, I'd like to hear your story. Um, what was life like growing up for you? Hmm. Okay. So we do the long version or the short version? We can, we can uh, do the condensed version. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a native of South Central Los Angeles. Um, grew up, my story is probably an alignment or really common story like a lot of other people. Um, grew up during the crack era. Both parents were addicted to crack, raised by my grandmother, um, again, from South Central Los Angeles. So, you know, that pretty much, you know, our, our story, I would say, has been depicted or sort of um, highlighted, you know, um, for the most part. So most of everything that comes with that, right? Um, then I was a teen mother. Um, my father was murdered when I was 15. I had my son at 16. So I left school at 16. I was on my own um, for quite a bit. And then I went into more like cocktail waitressing, bartending, things of that nature. Um, and then I worked odd jobs, you know, from 15 all the way up until uh, age 29, where I decided to go to college. So I then enrolled in the uh, our Riverside Community College. And then I transferred to UCR, where I got my degree in sociology, my bachelor's in sociology. And then um, I went on to manage a Fortune 500 uh, franchise, which was my best friend and my sorority sister's franchise, Edible Arrangements. And from there, I really gained the confidence to start my own business. So I already had an entrepreneurial spirit, I would say, and Endeavor didn't necessarily have the confidence to believe that I would be able to be the person who could execute that. And then after successfully managing her company for those two years and um, accomplishing some tremendous feats, I felt more confident to step out on my own. Yeah. So when you were in school, what did you get your degree in? Sociology. Sociology. Yes. Minor in law society, but. mm -hmm. And what, what made you, what do you, I want to figure out how the best way to ask this question, but 
it's like you became an AKA also. So what role did that play in your business and your career? Well, uh, I think that I was really attracted and attractive to the sorority because you got to remember I was 31. So, you know, while my sorority sisters were 18 to 22, um, so my, my, I stood out on campus a little bit differently, I would say, because one, I was grown, husband, had my own house, you know, children and everything like that. So I took a very business approach to college. Um, my mentor and I would successfully put on a lot of events. Um, I stood out in class, you know, so for me, college was a business. I, I pretty much was funded through scholarships. So I took my GPA, I took my, um, you know, ability to stand out, get research, get recommendations, letters of references. All of those things were very, very important to my success in college. So um, yeah, definitely 31 is a very different student than a 22 year old student. And so um, people knew me on campus. And so I had that, you know, that, that much of attention. So then for AKA understanding the history of it, and looking for something that was reciprocal. I wanted to have a stronger backing for a lot of the things that I wanted to do. So I wanted to um, raise scholarship funds for the students there. And it's one thing to try to do that as me, myself, and my professor, but it's another thing to do that with the backing of such a um, prestigious sorority behind you. So I understood how that networking opportunity and everything, besides all of the tremendous history and everything that we typically join for, but I understood that I wanted to be an asset. So I wanted to make sure that um, I carried the legacy of AKA with me. And so um, it just made sense for me. And so um, then, yeah, so I joined. That's cool. So, all right. <clears throat> so you leave school, you work for this company, and then you decide to go out on your own. What was your first venture like on your own? Well, it was a transition. So most entrepreneurs, I know that we see a lot of hype online about, you know, oh, if you are um, serious about your business, you need to just like quit your business. You need to, you know, abandon, you know, everything foundational that's bringing you an income and just, you know, there's no plan B and all of the other little means that we tend to see, but I didn't take that route. I had a transitional. So while I was working at Edible Arrangements and managing, um, I was looking for a little just revenue streams. Um, I knew that the, the business that I wanted to start, it was going to take a considerable amount of funding. So I was looking for revenue streams that was sort of free my time up. So one was to kind of like just make sure that I could pay my rent and have everything covered so then I could focus on my business. Because, you know, as you work all day long, that's a lot of time. So um, the first thing that I actually embarked on was lock therapy. So I created a hair product. Um, so it was like something that was close to me, something I was already doing, something that was in my, my understanding. So I created a hair product. Um, I used to sell soap. I used to sell T-shirts. I used to sell anything that would generate a revenue stream so that I would not have to go and work full time. But that was how I transitioned out. So I did those things for like a year before I actually just vacated um, my job completely. So what's cool, and I don't know if this is true, but so when you were work, when you were in school, were you a full-time student? Yes. Okay. And so then when you went into business, so you have the, the help of uh, a mate like since you're married you you have more leeway to do some really cool things right well sort of kind of my ex-husband was military so when your spouse is military um depending on your situation especially navy you are almost conducting your life like a single parent because uh, they may be gone for six months to nine months at a time so you don't have that same backing yes you do have i would say for me it would have been the back end of saying, OK, so you have a spouse and you have someone to pay the mortgage. But honestly, I made um, a really nice amount through scholarships. I would get about ten thousand dollars every quarter. So oh, wow. I was I wasn't a financial burden as a student. I was actually making more money going to college than I was on my previous job before going to college. That's cool. Right. So um, I didn't necessarily have the same sort of support system. So transporting the kids to and from school, that was still on my shoulders. You know, everything else, the life still existed the same. So trying to work my schedule. And, you know, at a community college, the schedule is a lot more flexible. They'll have like 20 different social one classes. 
at the university, there's like one or two. So that time frame and having to organize your life around children, because um, I had a child that was in junior high and then I had a child that was in kindergarten. So, um, yeah, it was you, you. I wouldn't necessarily say it was the optimal sort of support system that you would normally think. Yeah. OK, so when did you find success as an entrepreneur? What did that venture look like? That's not recent. So really, um, the first venture that I was starting, the company is called Fits by Design, and the company was going to be something modeled sort of like um, business model wise, nail shop or barbershop, but for fashion design students who had successfully graduated. So mm -hmm. you would enter into the facility and then you would um, be recommended to a fashion designer. And, you know, so whatever it is that you needed made, created or whatever, Greek paraphernalia, whatever you needed, you could go with the fashion designer and, of course, have them sketch it, size you and everything. And then the uh, other half of the establishment would be fabric and notions and everything that you needed. So you would be able to come in, get something custom made, and it would generate two revenue streams. So there was the booth rental for me and then also the fabric. Um, so that was the model for the business. And um, again, like, you, like I said, that was going to take. Um, you know, a tremendous amount of capital to start up. And so in 2000, I thought about the idea in 2004, to be honest with you, but I just, like I said, I didn't think I would be able to do that. So I said, okay, if I go to school and it still makes sense, I'll try to find someone to run it and I'll try to find a way to fund it. And so um, 2000 and was that 2010, 2011, I ended up working for my friend. And so I stayed there for two years and um, then I had an inheritance that was supposed to come <laughs> and I thought it was coming right away and it didn't. And that also made me kind of like, OK, well, I have a little money coming. So, you know, I'll be able to start the business. And that actually took five years. Hmm. So, right. So what we initially thought it was a probate situation. And if anybody knows about that, that can get stretched out for, for years. So we initially thought the money was coming. It wasn't. So I found myself kind of like. I'm out of work now. I've left my job. I thought this money was coming. It's not coming. So it was kind of like, okay, I got to just keep hustling until this income comes, which by that time, the landscape changed. My mind changed on what it would look like. And so I decided to pivot to an app. So I figured I would have far more scalability and reachability than a location based, um, you know, um, brick and mortar establishment. So in 2016, I built the app for Fits by Design. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I like and so from there, you know, it was kind of like, okay, this makes more sense. But then that's learning a completely new beast. So now you have to learn the app world and everything that comes along with that. The average customer acquisition cost for an app to download is between five and seven, uh, three and seven dollars. So that's still tremendous. The app space is extremely crowded. Um, there's been at least a billion apps in the app store, but only 90% have ever been downloaded. So it's extremely competitive. Um, I also lacked the fact that though I was a facilitator for this, this idea, I don't belong in the fashion world. I don't exist in the fashion world. I don't have no fashion world friends. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not a designer. I'm not. So when you're entering into a space, even if you have a product or service, if you don't know, imagine someone who's non-Greek who decides I'm going to open up a Greek store. You, you're, you're a fish out of water, right? You don't know anyone. You don't have any connections. Mm -hmm. So that's where I really found myself. Those are the hurdles that I found myself facing that I never would have even really considered. I just thought, oh my God, this is a tremendous service. People will love it, you know, and that's kind of what we walk into. It's a great idea. And um, then you find yourself like, how do I market this? How do I communicate this? And not having access to those networks, not having the capital to really push it in front of um, as many eyeballs as possible. It was very daunting. Um, so it was, a, it was a big challenge for me. So do you still run that company or did you pivot into something different? So that company still exists. And I was really still pushing it. Um, when we moved here, I moved here to New York. So I had divorced. I remarried. We moved to New York. And I saw that as being an opportunity. Now, my husband, my, my husband now, that is a different type of support system. Again, I was so used to hustling, you know, just making money, making sure that everything was paid while still trying to focus on building that business. And when we moved here, when I moved here, my husband said, I just want you to focus for two years on the business. I don't want you to work. I don't want you to sell anything else 
or anything that takes away your attention, just focus on the business. And so I was now starting to gain traction. So um, I saw that going to the schools was a great opportunity, pitching directly to the schools versus established fashion designers and mm. things like that. Great opportunity. So I actually had started gaining um, a decent amount of traffic for that. And um, I had a conversation with John Henry. He's uh, at the time he was a big capitalist. Yeah, John Henry is brilliant. Um, brilliant, brilliant guy. And I remember I sat down with that because he's a venture capitalist. So he's like, hey, let's have lunch. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to pitch my idea. Right. So I pitch fits and it was like crickets. He was like, mm, uh, kind of cool, but I think you should focus on you as a brand. And I'm thinking in my head, like, this man is crazy. What are you talking about? I've been working on this for the last like five years mm -hmm. and I'm not a brand. I was like, Akinutra is not a brand. It's just my personal page but it had grown significantly. And so he was like, I think you could really work in this wheelhouse and where I've been doing. So I took his advice. He told me, go take some headshots, go pitch yourself out, get on podcasts, get on speakers and stuff like that. So I was like, even though I didn't see his vision and understand it, I respect him. So I followed his advice plus some, and it wind up being timely and perfect because I believe I met with him around November, uh, 2019. And at that time, Fitz would have been a business that was dispatching makeup artists, nail techs, uh, fashion designers to your home. And as you know, COVID came just a few months later. Mm -hmm. So it went, but because I had kind of, you know, refocused and what I wind up doing was, as I said, okay, well, let me take Aconundrum as a brand seriously. I didn't want to create a website. So I created a personal brand app. So I have Aconundrum app, which is a what? business brand. Right. So I built my app. And for years, people had been asking me to build their apps because yeah. they, they knew that I had an app and I just never would commit to it. So, so when cool. I built my personal brand app, then the interest was really like, wait, you have your own. I need an app. You know what I mean? So everybody was like, I need an app. Need I need an app. app. That's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now that fits has to be shelved. And, you know, until we figure this stuff out, I focused on the apps. So then I started building apps for people. And then I started getting more conversations, more um, requests to speak. I got featured in Forbes uh, in December and um, everything just kind of grew from there. Man, that's so cool. Um, there's a lot there. Um, but what I think is really cool is you took an idea that was brick and mortar. You, you made it digital, but you didn't sit down and say, I need to find somebody who can design this app for me. I need to find somebody who I can pay thousands of dollars to design this app for me. You just did it yourself. And from that created so many other opportunities. And that's what a lot of people need to do. And that's what a lot of times what creates the new thing that's actually going to give you that edge in business. The obvious stuff, the things that just come to you, usually those are not going to be the things that pop off. It's that thing that comes to you while you're in the weeds, while you're doing the work. So that's really cool. Man, let's talk about building an app. And then we'll get to eventually building your brand app because that's cool. Where did you start with that? Well, to be honest with you, um, paying someone thousands of dollars wasn't an option because I was broke. <laughs> so, so it's really like a lot of times we um, we feel very, I would say, just dismayed by our circumstances because we lack the resources. But um, it's really the resourcefulness. So the resources that's really not the make or break point for success or failure. There are people like the company Quibi who raised a billion dollars. That company is like, and they had all of the backing. They had the brightest minds behind them, the experts, all the celebrities and everything. So it's really the resourcefulness because you learn so much in that. So for me, it was, okay, I need to create an app. I was very familiar with web design. I'd done that. So I uh, talked to my cousin. He said, you know, they have apps to build apps. And I was like, wait, what? Okay. So I looked into it and I found template-based app systems that's no coding required. So you could um, just, you know, jump on, you could have the company build it for you or you could build it yourself. So I, I, I looked into that and the first um, iteration, I had them build it out for me until I realized that what they were doing was pretty much like putting up the drywall in a home. You yeah. still had to fill in everything. So I said, okay, that's, I'll do this myself. So I built the app out. Um, I think I got, um, that was Mother's Day. So I think that was like May 10th. And I had the app finished by July. So 
built it out and then um, learned more. So I had to learn a lot because at that time, now we're primarily on Apple and Google, but apps were in uh, Windows. Uh, BlackBerry was still a platform. Um, Amazon. So you have Google and so it was five different play stores, different sort of languages, rules, regulations. So I had to spend a lot of time educating myself on that. Right. And the company that I was with, they were they weren't new, but they were fairly new. So I grew with this company as well. And then they, as they started to add more features, that helped as well, because now I'm learning the features. and I'm learning all of the aspects of doing my app. Um, and there was a language barrier, too, with them. So a lot of things I had to just roll my sleeves up and jump in and do myself. And so um, from there, like you said, I wind up creating an opportunity because when I started the personal brand, there were things like events and things that I wanted to inform my um, my followers of there were assets and things that I provide for them for free resources. And I said, you know what, let's just house this into one one situation. And I've been doing the resources and stuff for years on Instagram. So it just made sense to me to do that under my own umbrella. And then, like you said, that does open up the possibility. So um, I knew that I wasn't as limited uh, as people who have websites. And so then I started to see the advantages of an app that people are now starting to see. We weren't really under the, right now, you know, the pressure of like Instagram can delete you. There's a cancel culture. Everyone's really afraid and they're feeling really vulnerable. Well, when I was doing this in 2016, I believe Instagram was just purchased by Facebook. No one had that fear. Everyone felt like they were safe. I mean, some people have been deleted, but you know, you weren't really as concerned. And now you see that wow, we do need to have our own spaces and our own platforms um, as well. So that has now created a different need, a different urgency. So that's why now the apps for me were really starting to push. So I went from building people's apps is what I started doing. I will custom build your app. I didn't take every single person. You had to apply. So I would vet your business to make sure that one, you would get a return on your investment. I wanted to be honest and frank with you because a lot of people have these concepts. Oh, I'm going to do the next black Twitter. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> Trust me. You don't have the capital. You don't have what it takes to become the next black Twitter or you wouldn't be talking to me. So I am very frank with people to help them understand what an app is really for, what you can use it for, how to use it correctly. And then I would build them for people. It got so much and it, it, it was just one of me hired someone else to help, but now I have a DIY service where they can actually build their own apps on the app on the platform. That is cool. Man, it's like you you, you start speaking and there's so many different gems you can pull out of it. Um, and I, I, one thing that jumps out to me is a lot of people, either they're getting deleted by Instagram or they're getting shadow banned by Instagram. So it's one thing to have your account just completely gone. It's another to post something and you get 13 likes <laughs> or you, or you get okay. like, so what you're doing is years ahead and where we should all be aiming because it's, it now allows you to own your audience. We talk about that in my mastermind a lot. It's like, you want to yes. have traffic that you own yes. where now every time I put something out to all my followers, all of them see it. Yeah. And it's just a percentage of people who engage with it as opposed to a percentage of people who even see it, which then creates a percentage of people who engage with it, which becomes smaller. That is really cool. And we have to understand our place, too. So I, I have a quote that I say all the time. I always tell people content is king, but data is the Pope and Facebook is the Vatican. So we really need to understand what we are. As content creators, we have a job. Our job is our milkshake brings the voice to the yard. So it's a very um, symbiotic relationship if you allow it to a symbiotic relationship if you allow it to be, meaning I'm a content creator. Instagram has provided me a platform and tools that this is a multi-billion dollar platform outfitted. Those tools allow me to get in front of an audience. And if I'm smart, I'll monetize that situation. Instagram never asked me for a dime, which you're not going to get that relationship anywhere else. Right. I can literally sit on Instagram and make hundreds of thousands of dollars and they've never asked me for a portion of that money. So people can't really be upset with Instagram for also needing to capitalize. They need that data. So they're going to reward you for doing whatever helps bring engagement. 
Mm-hmm. And we have to stop looking at it like, okay, well, Instagram's doing this to me and do this is a privilege. You do not have a right. There's no contract. You don't pay for this service. So they are going to definitely do what is in their best interest and you better get what you can in the process. So although I am pro platform, you know, having your own platform, your audience, I also tell people stay on these platforms as long as you can and funnel them to your platform. Use them. They're very great tools, you know, as long as you can, but you never want to be utterly 100 percent dependent. Look at them as like a Las Vegas residency, you know, or something like that, where you're just funneling that traffic. But don't sit here and just put all of your business onto someone else's platform that Mm. you don't have a financial contract with or anything because they owe you nothing. They can just delete you. Right, right, right. So a lot of people, one thing you said that I think people, when they hear app, and when you say app are two different things. So what exactly should somebody be looking to get out of the app that they create? So your app is primarily going to place you in direct connection with your consumer in a way that social media cannot, a website cannot, an email list cannot. There are key differentiators. For example, if you have a business page, you have a business Instagram, you do, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen your insights. So Instagram will tell flirt with you with this data. They say, oh, okay. So your core audience is between 24 and 34 uh, in Atlanta. They're online Monday afternoon. That's great information. It feels like, but you can't really do anything with that information on Instagram. You cannot place a post in front of that female audience between 24 and 34 in Atlanta on Monday afternoon, because when you post, you don't know where it goes to, who it goes to, what time is going to be seen or shown. So that data is really useless for you. You can't even utilize that. You can't take that those metrics and then and put them into your website or and try to even make that make sense because they're showing you where people are on Instagram. They're not showing you where people are in general. So that information is really useless. If you, I mean, it's really useless if you think about it. With an app, I can segment my audience. So when people join my app, I ask them, Mm -hmm. um, I don't really care about your age. I'm caring about your level of experience and your journey as an entrepreneur. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur, a new entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur? I want to know if you are in fitness and health and what space you're in. So that way I can place things in front of you that matters. So I can send a push notification directly to my new entrepreneur. So let's suppose I had a free course that was like, how to start your business. I'm not going to send that to my seasoned entrepreneurs. That's spammy at that point. So I can push notify only my new entrepreneurs. I can make sure that they see it on the date and the time that I want them to see it. If I had a location-based service, like let's suppose there was a tax lady who was going to do free business taxes and she was in Brooklyn on Saturday. I can set up a geofence where that notification will only go to people who have their phone in Brooklyn. So it doesn't even care about your area code or your zip code. It's where is your phone located? So if you're in Brooklyn on Saturday and I have you in there as a seasoned entrepreneur, I can say, hey, this tax professional is doing free business taxes because you may have moved and you know not updated me that you're now in Brooklyn, right? My phone still has a Cali area code. So That way you can get directly in front of your consumer, know that you're seen when you want to be seen and um, reach them. So that's one. Secondly, you can build a safe haven for your tribe and your community. I really tell business owners, if you already have an audience that's a community, this is where you can now create a social media page for them. They can post like it looks just like a Facebook feed. You can answer questions. You wow. can offer exclusive wow. deals. Oh, that's to- so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's very different what you're able to do. Um, reach them, give to them. Everything is completely different with an app. Yeah. The cool thing is, and this is why creativity is so powerful. It's like whatever you think you can kind of create. And so we go into these apps and we're like, it'd be cool if they had this feature. It'd be cool if they did this or did that. Well, just create it. Just do it yourself. And then you can have all these things that are tailor-made to the people that you want to serve. That's really cool. Um, I've flirted with the idea of creating my own community and doing all these different things. And the 
the place came up called Mighty Networks. What is your thought on Mighty Networks? Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at partnerwithmillie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. I'm, I don't, I'm not. You never heard of Mighty Networks? No. Oh, okay. Mighty Networks is, it kind of allows you to create your own community, but it has like their branding on it. And you can also download an app, but it's not, it's not what I think you're doing, which is way better for uh, your personal brand. Well, when we do things like that, we're still beholden because at the end of the day, what people need to understand is the majority of these sort of platforms they start up um, with an exit plan in mind, meaning they are built, being built to be acquired. And at some point, they will have to be monetized. So that means that they're going to have to take on sponsorship ads. They're going to have to do something that starts to compromise the organic reach. So Instagram did the same thing. They ran for, with no money, you got to think, for five years. When they were purchased by uh, Facebook, that's when the ads came. That's when the restrictive viewership came. That's when the pay-to-play system comes in. So these people get you in on all that great organic traffic. They're going to flip the switch eventually because they can't keep running a system like this with no revenue. You know what I mean? Eventually, they're going to have to generate revenue. And so that's going to come at your expense. If you are not paying, you are the product. Okay, so at the end of the day, they're going to utilize your traffic or they're going to make you pay to get in front of your uh, users one way or the other. What are some things that people should want to put on the app? Well, I'd say it definitely depends on your business, but there are some core fundamentals. You should have a space for your community to connect Um, your tribe. A lot of people focus on the numbers, right? We see our followers on Instagram and you're like, oh, a hundred and something followers. But what you're reaching is really significantly small. The one thing that's different is my app is at Conundrum. The only way you found my app is you already know me, you follow me, you, you rock with me. The people who then took the time, the extra step and energy to download the app, they are pretty much my loyalists. Right. So I have now almost 7000 download uh, users, but that core 7000 is going to be more hyper effective in anything that I do versus the few people on Instagram. You found me by happenstance. You downloaded Instagram. I don't know one single person who were like, oh, a conundrum. Let me go get Instagram so I can reach her. You found me. Right. But when you downloaded my app, we have a relationship. So you're going to get much more uh, in terms of uh, um, ROI or conversion, much better conversion from your loyalists than you are going to from all of those people on Instagram. So that's why I really focus on the community aspect. You want to kind of have a community there. You want to make sure that you're offering exclusive. So a lot of people ask me, how do you get downloads? Because I don't pay for them. I don't run marketing. I don't run ads. You can offer exclusive deals and things that create FOMO and make others download your app. So for example, at one point in time when COVID first started, I used to give uh, curate all the grants that help businesses. I would post them on Instagram. Then people were winning the grants. So I know for a fact, I'm responsible for about $180,000 worth of grants being awarded to my followers. So I would post and share the, thank you, oh my God, I won. So now people are like, whoa, these grants are really working. So I stopped posting them directly to Instagram. I started posting them to my app users. I call them my drummers. So I started posting them to my drummers. And then a couple of days later, I will post it to Instagram. And I would say, hey, you guys, here's this uh, grant. But I did post it on my app like three, four days ago. So you might want to hurry up. And then my users, my, my drummers are so petty. They would come in the comment section like, oh, yeah, I got that four days ago. Good luck with that. You know what I'm saying? Get, get in line. And then people will be like, oh, no, because they want that information. It's timely and it's time sensitive. So that's a way to do that. Or if I have an event and I say, well, my drummers got 50 percent off. 
or yeah. my drummers got you know this much off. So if you download my app, you would have gotten that discount. So that's one is rewarding that you're loyalist. Yeah. Are you charging for your app or is it a free app? It's free. Okay. And then the other question I have is in terms of getting your app on the app store, is that a lengthy process or is it kind of straightforward? No, it's not. It can be. Submission is a very hard process um, if you're trying to do this on your own. If you're doing it with people who do this, um, then it's not. Apple and uh, has a lot of regulations, requirements, and things like that. So that's another reason why template-based systems are so much easier for your startup. Templates, we use a universal language. So what we do applies overboard for Google and Apple. When you build a native app, you have to build two apps, an Apple version and a Google version. And when you're building something native, you know, just you, you can kind of work it how you want. So you may run into a lot of issues unless you have an experienced app designer. So one, you apply. First, you have to become an Apple developer. So you have to apply for an account with Apple. If you're going to use your business name, you have to have a Dunn's number, a Dunn's and Bradstreet uh, uh, number. So you have to have that. You have to apply. And that's not hard. It's only $99. It usually takes them about 48 hours to get back to you. Google is the same thing. They're 25. Apple is 99 a year. Google is 25 one time. So once you now are a developer, you can now submit your app. So my company, we submit the app for you. You don't do that part. So we submit. And so any rejections, which you normally get, there's rejections for small, some of the smallest infractions. It could be just the size of the photo that you're using for the tablet. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it can be very tedious. Um, but then they have new things that they come up with. And so for right now, if you wanted to build a dating app, you're going to get a no from Apple. They just said, we're done. We have enough dating apps. So I don't care if your dating app is fine, if it's beautiful. So imagine people who go and have this amazing dating app built for like $30,000, $40,000, and it's a hard no from Apple. And so you have to be um, constantly aware of their new, the changes, their policies, the privacy, the EU changes and things like that. So it's not really hard. Once we do it, we submit it. We get word back typically in 72 hours from Apple. Google has elongated that process now. Sometimes it can be 10 days. Then we have to go back and forth. If they've rejected you, we have to make corrections. We have to appeal for you. We have to do different things. The fastest that I've ever gotten app approved has literally been in one day. I was shocked. It was no. And then the longest I've seen has been like a two week process where someone got denied like eight times. And then we just kept having to go back and forth with them. In terms of like editing or uploading content to your app, what is that like? Well, the service that I have is a very, again, DIY platform. So I like for people to be autonomous because I've worked with graphic developers and I work, work with a lot of people. And I, like I said, I didn't have money. So if you have something built and then you need an edit, that's another charge, right? For someone else, you have to now pay for these, these, these things. So I like for people to be as autonomous as possible. So if you need to edit your app, you have full control of your dashboard. You're able to edit it. You're able to add your pictures. You're able to change your bio. You're able to add features. You have full control over that. And it's such a simple system. It's kind of hard to break anything because there's no coding required on the back end. You may have accidentally deleted something to have to start over or something like that. But we don't have to worry about you actually like just destroying your entire app. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're as autonomous as possible. But I do offer phone support, text support, email support. I mean, phone support, chat support, email support as well. Um, and then we handle all the legal things. See, that's really what the issue is when you get an app. Some people that I've now had to build apps for, they found a guy, he built an app, that guy has ghosted them, and they have no idea what to do. They can't make any changes. This is why it's really important to go with a larger company, right? Or they change their privacy policies. Those things, that legal jargon is above my head. The company that I work with, they're so ahead of it that they get it and they're actually doing it way before the deadline is and all that. So they, they handle everything. You don't have to worry about any of that part of it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's talk about the virtual mall. What exactly is a virtual mall? Yes, yes, yes. So the Black Virtual Mall is an immersive one-stop shop marketplace, um, you know, all in one, right? So 
it's something that I felt is our way to get into this, the concept of this metaverse um, in a real and pragmatic and practical way. Okay. So when you go to the Black Virtual Mall, one, it's 100% Black-owned businesses that are in the mall. When you go to the Black Virtual Mall, which was the response to COVID and all of the businesses, 41% of Black-owned businesses were shut down. So it was a response to helping them to have more prominence in their um, presentation on terms of e-commerce. How do I help you stand out? How do I help you get seen? How do I help you direct traffic to your site, right? So if you go to the mall, the mall has a very um, graphic user interface that looks like a little mall and there's people walking around like the Sims, but you don't have the extra daunting task of putting on an avatar, walking an avatar. There's none of that required, but it just has that feel. Now we have to still make sure we have a foot into reality, right? We're doing fantasy world, but let's just still be real. So when you go into it, it feels familiar. There's a movie theater, there's a food court. We are in fact the only virtual mall, the first virtual mall to have a movie theater and an operating food court as well. So I wanted to bring in the real experience that you have had in the mall as well. So when you enter it, everything is very intuitive. It's just clicking the screen. So you're just clicking and then an action happens. So you can go to the movie theater, you can watch free content. You can go to the food court, you can order food, utilizing Uber Eats, Caviar, DoorDash, Grubhub, any service that you already use. And you can then have that food delivered to you. Then you can go and do what you probably came to do with the shop. And our kiosks, our stores, and our premium stores, and our bookstores look very different than your typical marketplace. So when you go to Amazon, there's no real branding. So if your business is an Amazon, there's no real brand prominence there. You just see the product, right? And half of the time, if you shop on Amazon, depending on what you get, you wouldn't even be able to tell the person who you got it from. You just like, oh, I got it from Amazon. So we make sure that your branding is very present. You have a little uh, kiosk or storefront. You have all of your brand assets in there. And then when they click onto your store, they go directly to your website. That's the difference as well. If you purchase from Amazon, those transactions go through Amazon. With us, they go directly to your website. That means if you are capturing data, if you have an email capture, you still get all of that rich data on your website. The transaction takes place on your website. We don't interfere in your money. So we're not holding your funds. We're not taking out fees and then disseminating your funds to you. No, you pay your rent. And I don't care if you make a million dollars. If your kiosk is 100, you pay me 100. That's it. So that part makes the, the store owners actually feel a little bit better as well. So we also practice high, uh, high visibility and exclusivity. There will only be 500 stores. Amazon has 9 million. That is a lot of competition. They have 4,000 new stores per day. So with 500, you will be seen and you will be shocked. And we also limit saturated markets. So if I get enough sea moss, <laughs> I'll reject you. I love you, but we got enough sea moss. You know what I mean? So we try to make sure that it's evenly distributed. That's smart. That's smart. How much is it to rent a space? So spaces run from 50 to 200. So $50 mm -hmm. is a bookstore. So if you are a musician, an artist, or you have a book, you can get a bookstore space for 50. If you are an artisan brand, a smaller brand, a startup brand, you can get a kiosk, just like in the mall, you know, have you have your kiosk for 100. Then if you are a more established brand, you can get a storefront that's 150 a month. And then that's if you so are a premium cool. brand, that's 200 a month. So those are for really like, you know, very well established um, brands. And then you can get a key, a store, I'm sorry, a premium store for 200 a month. Yeah. And it's month to month. There's no contract. There's no um, year contract. It's month to month. And so it's a very easy and seamless process. And we do everything. When you apply and you pay your deposit, we build your store. We put in your graphics. We put in your data. We do everything. Really? Yes. That's cool because there's a lot of people out there who want to have their own business, their own storefront. And they're just like, I don't have the thousands upon thousands of dollars to make that happen, to build it out, to hire a contractor, get the HVAC, all that stuff installed. And you're able to do it virtually, which is really cool, which interestingly enough, social media has allowed a lot of us who otherwise wouldn't be able to be in business to be in business. And so now you guys are taking it to the next level. That's really cool. 
Um, in terms of commercial property development, what are you, what kind of projects are you working on besides the mall? So now the recent project that I just completed is the Black Virtual Convention Center. Right, right. And the convention center, like, have you ever been to a virtual event? Like, um, one that's not just Zoom, but it actually looks like, you know, they've actually gone all out. And I've seen it. I've, I've never been, but I've seen it. The virtual convention center, the immediate, when a person comes there, it immediately is like a large convention center. So the, the website is up too. So if you actually have access to um, online, you can see it. So it's, um, you know, a large convention center style building. And then there's um, in the front, there's 10 branding opportunities. So there's two large um, photo opportunities. So if it were you hosting an event, there's placeholders there now that are me, but it would be your company or your speakers or you or whatever. And that would be there. So when you get there, there's actually motion and animation. So the billboard spins around, cars are driving, people are walking, helicopters are flying, birds are flying. So, you know, it has a really nice animation and a real rich animation feel to it. Then when they enter, there's a Zoom feature, they enter into the lobby. So then you have your speaker, your auditorium, where, you know, most people who have a virtual event, there's like a one to three day event that they're used to usually hosting online, you know, for a virtual event. So you would have your auditorium. That's where your speakers are so that you'd have your itinerary and your agenda set out there. We also have a vendor hall. So just like you would um, host out a, a, a brick and mortar building and you would have vendors, we have the vendors. So just like how in the mall, you have those vendor booths, you could now actually um, sell those vendor spots. So you could have people vend at your event. We're the first convention center online to also have a concession stand. So if you want food to be available, people can order food just like in the mall. And then we have the VIP lounge. We have a 100 um, capacity video chat room. So if you have breakout time or somewhere you want them to con convene, they can do just like how we're doing right now. Your guests can actually talk audio or video if they want. And then I have added something that no one else has. I have a VIP private island. Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. And in the private island, you now can put on your avatar. You will now walk around just like Fortnite, just like Roblox. You can play. We have Obstacle Course, Jeopardy, um, Clue. You can play Wheel of Fortune. We have escape rooms. We have uh, beaches. We have private dance facilities with DJs. We have haunted houses. So there's all these different activities that you know how you network at a convention. It's like, okay, I've learned all day. I'm tired. But the after hours is where it's really kicking off. You know, that's where you're getting to like start to chill. You're hanging out with people. You're having fun. So the VIP private island is really for that. And it uses spatial audio, meaning when you're there and you have your little avatar, you can hear right through your computer. You don't need a special headset. You don't need anything. You don't need Oculus glasses. You can hear and you can see. And so now you can actually just have fun. Your name floats above your head. So you don't have to do all of that awkward. Hi, I'm Tiff from Tata Capital. And you know what I mean? They see your name. They see your company. And then you're able to just kind of relax. It's fun um, and have a good time. So that's the VIP private island. None of those um, are add-ons. There's a flat rate for everything. Everything is one flat rate. And so um, you're now able to host your, and you can host a hybrid. So let's suppose you have a real event going on in person. You can stream that in live to your virtual audience so that they can see and they can be a part of. And that increases your scalability tremendously. Right. So now if you have people who can't attend for whatever reasons, they can still attend virtually and you get that replay. So the cool part about that part is, you know, if you go somewhere live, if you didn't make it on Friday, you just didn't make it. You didn't see that speaker that's done. This way you can still see it and you get to host it for 10 days. That is interesting. So you have all these really cool ideas. What else do you want to do? Mm. 
Well, okay. I have like, I have a lot of ideas. I actually look for business surrogates a lot of time because I have so many ideas that I think are amazing. Usually if I do a strategy call or if I get on a call with somebody and I think they're a good fit, I'm always trying to pitch them this idea like, hey, this will be a good idea. You should do this. It's something that I want to do, but I just really don't have the time and I'm already stretched. So it's me trying to make sure I edit myself down and focus mm. on things and not just doing every single thing, especially as you start to get more money, then you're not really limited. You're like, okay, I can hire somebody to go do this and do that. So it's really just me trying to make sure that I stay focused. Mm. Um, my main contribution is to one, make sure that I help people to become as financially autonomous as possible. And that looks like different things for different people. For some people, that's just having the FU money to say, I'm not going to go work this job. I got an extra $2,000 or $3,000 now, you know, or extra $4,000. So that looks like various things to various people. But I try to make sure that I offer the tools and the solutions to give you that sort of autonomy at every point in time. I also try to make sure that we're able to take advantage of things that we're largely priced out of. So when I did my Black Biz Expo last year, that cost me $46,000. I did that on my own. The platform that I'm offering is $10,000. So it's significantly priced cheaper and the payment available uh, methods that are available. So now we can participate. Even the apps, you know, for me, the apps are $8.99. So this is significantly cheaper than you spending $10,000 or $20,000 to have an app. So it's just me trying to level the playing field for us. Level the playing field. Mm-hmm. Pricing will definitely hold a lot of people back. So that's really cool. All right. So, man, I, I was able to ask you a lot of questions. Let me ask you a few quick fire round questions yeah. and we'll wrap it up. Uh, what is one thing about this space, this whole digital space that you didn't expect? That I didn't expect? Um, I didn't expect dot com part two. So dot com, you know, the dot com bubble. I didn't expect for people to rally just like they did in dot-com part two. They were right. The people who did the dot-com bubble, they said when the internet came along in 95 and 97, they invested. They said, oh, the internet is where we're going to shop. It's where we're going to do everything. They were right. But they were 20 years too early. Mm -hmm. And the metaverse, you're seeing the same exact thing happen. So that's the part that I would have thought. The dot-com bubble was so recent. I thought we would have learned from that. But for me to see these large companies that are actually doing the same, repeating the same process, you know, that I didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the biggest challenge facing you in your current, uh, I guess, role in the business? Um, I wouldn't say I don't have the challenge anymore. Now it's really just more so I don't have any challenges anymore. The challenges that I, I don't see challenges because anything that I want to do, I'm going to find a way to do it. There's, there's a way possible, whether I'm doing it myself and I'm okay with being version 1.0, I may have the idea. So I'll start with version 1.0 until I can get to that, to the vision. So I don't have to, I don't worry about that. There's too many resources on this planet right now. We can, we can do just about anything we want to do. There's no barriers to entry like there were, but for me, it was actually the trust issue, which was allowing other people to take those tasks on and do that for me. So I'm limited by my physical limitations. It th- Then I had to learn how to start to, um, you know, get a team, trust the team, you know, train a team and then let people do what they do. And so that was the hardest part. And I've, I've largely gotten over that hurdle. So that's, that would have been my challenge. And that's what I've actually worked now that was my greatest challenge was trying to do everything alone what is one thing about the tech space that almost nobody agreed with you on Uh, i wouldn't say that they don't agree but i say that i get called into question a lot that i don't require oculus to experience the virtual mall and the virtual convention center that is the only resistance that I keep seeing people are asking me, uh, why aren't you using Oculus? Why aren't you using Oculus? And so my answer to them is that one, Oculus, um, the same way that smartphones had to be in the hands of just about everyone for Uber to be successful, Oculus is the same way. 
So I'm not going to make my platform contingent on a piece of tech that one is $300 when the people that I serve have the least disposable income. Two, we don't even know if that's going to be the final iteration of, of this thing. Um, Microsoft has something different to say. Apple has something different to say. So I'm not going to invest thousands of dollars creating a platform built around a piece of technology that I don't own. I don't know. I don't do something. So that part and everyone's so hooked on that Oculus environment for the uh, VR uh, that that's where I do get a lot of people asking me like, uh, why aren't you using, you should be using Oculus. And I'm like, mm, no, I have my reasons for it. We'll wait and see what that does. Yeah. This sometimes people have a hard time answering this question, but what is an underrated tool that is indispensable in your business? Hmm, an underrated tool that is <laughs> indispensable. Or just a tool in, in general. Product. It doesn't have to be underrated. Like what's something that you couldn't go a day without? Oh, oh, okay, okay. Um the internet. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like overall, right? Like literally the internet um, is definitely one in terms of, yeah, because everything else is, I have so many apps that are required for what I do. I have so many platforms that are required for what I do. What I did um, with the mall, since it's never been done, I couldn't just go and say, okay, hey, I'd like, uh, let me use that app for the mall rental. I had to take four apps and combine them to make my platform function. I had to reach out to the companies and say, I know that your subscription company largely is focused on like products, like uh, coffee subscription boxes, but I'm collecting rent. They were like, wait, rent? What do you mean? So I need to change some of the back language um, <laughs> to make it make sense for my company. So I'm doing something that I literally had to rig up four or five different things to make it work. So, yeah. So there's so many different components that, um, yeah. Now I am looking to streamline that. So meaning I may have to create a system for myself, but until that point, I just had to kind of daisy chain things together to make them work um, for me. That's cool. What's your favorite yeah. business book? I like people. So it's not really a book. It's um, one of my favorite and most inspiring things that I've watched repeatedly is on the History Channel, and it's called The Men Who Built America. And it goes through um, all of the industry titans during the revolutionary, um, the, um, the um, what, Lord, I said the revolutionary. It goes through, um, who's there? So you have Rockefeller, of course, industry, you have Carnegie and uh, oil, you have Carnegie steel, you have Vanderbilt railroad, you have um, JP Morgan and banking, and then you have Ford and, and cars. And it goes through the entire journey from around 1865 up until Ford. And it's just, to me, one of the most inspiring documentaries and to really see that change for the industrial revolution. So that's one of the things that I actually really watched a lot um, because you get to see the the origin stories for those businesses, how they came about. Um, those are things that I do. I watch documentaries on entrepreneurs more than anything because the practices, they change. The models change. Like advertising looks very different from advertising. So if you're reading a book on advertising today written by somebody 10 years ago, that information is probably largely not as antiquated. I really study the basics. I've already done that part. I have all the core on that. But for me, it's the entrepreneur journey that I get the most wealth from. I like to see how did they overcome obstacles? What are things that they were facing that even when they got to be, you know, multi-million dollar, billion dollar companies to see the, uh, the obstacles that they were still challenges that they were still facing and what made them fail? I get more wealth out of the failure stories than just the success stories. So I like to study the actual entrepreneur more than a book about their methods and you know how to do anything. I like it. I like it a lot because usually their life is the culmination of a lot of different pieces of information, not just one piece of information. Right, um, right, right. And so for me, you know, like I said, I do watch, you know, I pay attention to skill things like okay, how do you run Facebook ads, right? Those are, and so I don't have to write a whole, read a whole book on that. That's just something that I can just learn real quick. 
but um, people are my books. Yeah. Wow. Last question is what does wealth mean to you? Wealth. Wealth to me is the ability to pursue your dreams to manifest what it is that you want in terms of your legacy or your vision. It's actually the ability to execute that. So sometimes that can show up in intellectual wealth. Sometimes that can show up in financial wealth. Sometimes that shows up in health wealth, meaning you can have a lot of money, but be completely incapacitated and still cannot manifest your dream. You can have all the health in the world, but lack the resources, right? So to me, it's a combination of, of those things, just having the ability. So me getting able to wake up in the morning, have all my, my faculties um, about me, right? Being able to be here with you, be cognizant, to be aware and alert, and then be able to learn the things, having the capacity to learn, and then the emotional fortitude to go forth and actually see that through and do that. That to me is, is wealth because everything else can come from that. Now, when we think about just materially or financially speaking, then wealth is also the ability to me to solve your problems, right? Like if someone's sick, can you solve that problem? Can you, whatever it is that you have as a problem that's facing you is to have that ability to solve that and not really have to think about it. Um, and I've been there. I've been there where that focal point was. Everything was so, okay, it's $50. You knew the cost of everything. You knew this, you knew that. Now, if my mother says, hey, I want to go get this or fly. And I can just say, okay, go get that. I can solve that problem. That's wealth to me. Mm-hmm. Or whatever level you are in life, you know, that's, that's wealth. Mm-hmm. So right now, my problem is not repairing my yacht. I don't own one. So that's not a problem for me right now. Right. But yeah. if I have a problem, am I able to, to solve that problem? Solving your problems without looking at the price tag. That's interesting. Um, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they support what you have going on? Where can they participate in the mall? Where can they get their apps made? Where can they do all those cool things? Well, I, I really believe in trying to be as efficient as possible. Everything is at aconundrum.com. So if you go to aconundrum.com, you will, uh, there's a link tree there and you can get information on the mall. You can get information on the courses that I provide for sale, uh, any webinars that I'm doing, sorry, the Black Virtual Mall, the Black Virtual Convention Center. Everything that I'm doing is going to be a part of that link tree. But then everything does has its own individual domain. So there's the blackvirtualmall.com, the blackvirtualconventioncenter.com, um, and first generation apps. Dot com. So, you know, but if you just want to do it real simple, real quick, aconundrum.com, and then you can look through and find the links to all of those things. Nice. Very cool conversation. I learned a lot. I got to get my app made. That's my next step. So uh, we'll be reaching out. Hopefully I can get through the application process, but I definitely want to get an app made. Well, now it's not an application process anymore. Remember, DIY. So now, yeah, now it's DIY. Yeah, it's DIY what would, what's the DIY product called? I'm on your link tree. I don't so it's first generation apps. So you should see a first generation apps. Oh, uh, that's it. I can do that's this. That's it. See? Man. All right. And guys. then what I do have is I have trained my lead graphic designer. Um, so what he's doing is there are some people who are like, okay, I know it's DIY, but some people either don't have the time or they just don't feel like working through it. So my graphic designer is available. He's a separate, that's a separate cost, but if you do need help, he knows all the features. He knows everything. He can build it for you. And mm-hmm. he charges anywhere from five and below, the 500 and below, depending on the services that you require. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just need the graphics done. Sometimes you just need certain features added. So he is um, available for that, too. And that's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's still an app, y'all. I'm getting mine. Thank you for your time. I know people are going to need a ton of... Well, you uh, can run I, your podcast right through your app. And that's what cool I... Part is- yeah, you don't have to worry about cutting off traffic. So see how you said you're running this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You can just streamline that in and still get your traffic hits on YouTube. So you don't have to worry about being in two different spaces. It's literally you just run it through the app. So people on your app can see it, but so would YouTube. And anyone who watches it on your app, those hits count for YouTube. Wow. Wow. So if they listen to your podcast and the app, 
that hit counts on whatever podcast service you use. So you're not cutting off your traffic. You're actually adding to your traffic. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of content, a lot of different things that I want to add into one space. And an app would be a really, really cool thing. Right. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Um, any last words for the people? Oh, wow. Okay. Last words for the people. Um, I would say that right now, what does that song say? What a time to be alive. <laughs> we are in an era and a time. This is the best time if you're an entrepreneur ever to be alive. You have just about every resource available to you at your fingertips, the barriers to entry that used to hold us out and and stop us from participating, they're not existing in the same way. Just 25 years ago, you couldn't simply open up an online store and take MasterCard payments or discovery payments. You had to apply. You had to have a credit uh, check run on you. You had to, so there were, there were things that you know, you had to do Shopify. You can open up a store and take every payment method immediately. So it's like, you really don't, all you have to do is ask. You have to just get online and ask, you know, what is this? What is that? And then do the research and educate yourself. But anything that you want to do right now, this is the best time in the world to do it. So I would say take full blown, um, um, advantage of the opportunities that you have. And remember that as an entrepreneur, you have one direction, one directive that is to solve a problem. That's all entrepreneurs do at the end of the day. You see a problem, you provide a solution. That's really it. Sometimes that problem looks like a want, but it's still a problem for someone. That's your entire goal. If you focus on that, being a solutionist, you will make money. Great conversation, you guys. Um, Of course, Click the links in the bio for all of our courses and content. Make sure you support what we have going on. Like, share, subscribe, hit the notification bell because I do these sporadically. So you never know. So you want to be alerted so that you know when we have an awesome guest on here dropping crazy value. Also, make sure you uh, tap in with her, support what she has going on. Click that follow button. Click that purchase button. Get that app made. um, Support everything she has going on because it's really cool stuff. And um, I just learned a ton. So another episode of the Millionaire Talk Show is wrapping up. And I appreciate you guys all for tuning in. See you on the next one.